0: Hi, you're listening to What's the Schemata, a schema therapy podcast for therapists, with ISST accredited schema therapy supervisors and trainers Chris Hayes and Rob Brockman. For more information on schema therapy, visit our website, schematherapytraining.com. Hello, everybody, welcome to What's the Schemata, the quasi monthly deep dive into schema therapy, and I'm here with the the uh, hostess with the most is Mr Robert Brockman Dr Robert Brockman sorry sorry doctor
1: uh thank you Chris you've outdone me again mate if <laughs> I'm going to take it to get that one that was kind of quite a,
0: a quick response um introduction we've Impromptu. Had, we've had the Sultan of schemers before um, impromptu
1: impromptu no really good man really it's been um it's been a crazy period we had um of course in light um yeah. a couple of weeks ago and Just recovering from that, that was a really stimulating thing. So if you don't know
0: what ENLIGHT is, what's like ENLIGHT is the kind of fancy term for the uh, International Society of Schemotherapy Summer School. Uh, The issue is that it's not often in summer for people that are in different uh, locations. So they've called it the ENLIGHT Symposium. Uh, So this is the kind of um, peak uh, meeting, which happens every two years, I think. So, uh, And it's focusing on... um, yeah, sort of more kind of workshops and skills, school-based sort of things, as a, as opposed to the the conference that happens um, every two years, where it's more often research-based and a lot larger. So yeah, it was in Melbourne. You had a good time in
1: Melbourne. Yeah, to- totally. It was. Yep. It was. Uh, yeah. You know, oh, these things. I always feel like <laughs> it's sort of weird to say. I always feel like with, with my people yeah you know, ski the scheme of people yeah you know? yeah that's true that's and true yeah uh, you can you can talk about all kinds of modes and things and people know exactly what you're talking about
0: yeah yeah that's, that's really true cool.
1: and you catch up with a lot of old friends and all
0: you know other people that are you know, similar minded you know in that kind of way too so it was a really great conference i really enjoyed it
1: mm. and and also people are very oh open you know if you if you i think if you go there and you you don't know anyone you'd have a bunch of friends by you know middle of the first day and yeah would share work with some stranger and yeah yeah, those yeah, kind yeah. Of things yeah and there was lots of international people I, I, that's the thing that
0: surprised me You meet many people from overseas we saw we met some lovely brazilian yeah. uh people that had traveled all the way from brazil to yeah Melbourne. so that was
1: that was that was crazy like to run into folks like apparently ski is so popular in brazil this yeah. is something that really surprised me but they have a big community there so a big shout out to our Brazilian colleagues um did you meet anyone from other places like like that surprised you or just a shout out
0: I mean there was obviously lots of people that you know the presenters that were from over overseas that you you know I, I'd been working on for them to come to Australia for a long period of time and they had come so I was quite excited to see see them so yeah so people from Scandinavia and from the States, I think the guys from the States, I think realized how far Australia is from America and, and uh, what we often put up with when we fly to Europe or the uh, North America, for other conferences. We were
1: joking. Some of our American friends were, were sort of like, this is great. Melbourne's great. The weather's great. And then it's like, yeah, sample size of two days. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Hang hang in there a little longer, but now the weather was perfect. Uh, The venue was great. So, but uh, you know, we got thinking because there were a bunch of little things that it, that we, Chris and I, got excited about and um, thinking about, you know, what was presented and just stimulating, you know, about the model and different things. So we, today that's the theme. You know, we're just going to chat through different things that came up um, in the conference. Um, and that said, there, look, there was a lot of material and there's lots of stuff that I'm still going
0: through. So if you've, you know, if you, um, you know, if you have access, you, I think you can still access the recordings. Extremely well recorded, extremely well put together uh, recordings of the of the um, yeah. um, conference. Uh, so it's a true hybrid. But so I mean, we, this is, these are the sorts of things that we noticed and we, you know, we were, we were a part of. But you know, there was lots of workshops that we didn't get around to seeing, didn't we? So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know and there's only so much you can do so I'm, I'm sure there's um this um this, this these this list of you know little stimulating topics that we found are, is, isn't a uh, a limited list I'm sure there's more to be found
1: once we could get yeah some- I only got to have a look at maybe a third of the of the conference so far yeah. you know because yeah. you can't be everywhere so and there was like three or four streams so yeah yeah mm. okay so um, okay, so let's go through. What did you come up with? Things. What What were what some sort of yeah. observations or things that stuck with you or that you sort of processed?
0: Well, uh, one thing it, I, I found was quite useful, um, this is actually from the recording, um, looking at Scott Kellogg's um, presentation. So Scott, um, specialist in chair work um, and using chair work, um, you know, within schema therapy. One thing I really found was quite useful and slightly different to what I would normally do was he, when he's doing chair work uh, and using mode work, he was sort of making a real thing about, um, I am the healthy adult, say that. So I, I'm, I'm I'm used to you yeah. know, coaching the client, but sort of almost coaching the client, I am the healthy adult, say that, I am the healthy adult. I am the, I, the- I am healthy adult,
1: Chris, I am the healthy adult.
0: Yeah, say it, say it. I am the authority.
1: I, I'm the healthy adult. I,
0: I, I, I am the healthy adult. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. 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 And being able to kind of sort of, I guess, I guess coach the different modes. So being a lot more, it's taking yeah. a lot more of a stronger lead. So another example would be, you know, sort of, okay, sort of getting the person to be in the healthy adult seat and say, I am the healthy adult. I am the leader. I am is my life, this sort of stuff. But then also going to other modes, so sort of I am your leader. Take me to your leader. Take you to your leader. Yeah. But you, you know know, I mean go to other modes as well and say, I am the I am the Dutch protector. I don't want you to feel sad. Say that. I don't want you to mm. feel sad. I'm here mm. to protect you. Say that. So being quite prescriptive in the mm. archetype of the mode. But yeah. in a way, for the clients to kind of, I think I, I would use that approach early in schema therapy. I don't know but I had a
1: chance yeah. to, um, actually, I actually had a chance to catch up with, with him last night because mm. um, it was his last night in Australia. Mm. And so, yeah, we, I was talking about this very thing. He, he was saying that this is the part that a lot of therapists have trouble with yeah. when, when, in his workshops, that, just the level of directiveness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. but he was saying and and that's what I got when I did his workshop a few years ago that he always couches it as as like you know try this out you know mm-hmm. try it on try it out if it, it you know if it feels right do it again mm-hmm. if it doesn't throw it away mm-hmm. so he I I had a, there was a level of tentativeness in that like you know yeah. that it felt fine for me when I I've mm-hmm. seen it but yeah what was your reaction what 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 do you take from that I think it's the idea. I mean, you know, I've always been quite directive,
0: but there was something prescriptive about the way that he was getting the client to respond, in say, you know, particularly this healthy adult sort of is sort of almost a mantra. But mm-hmm. I think I can imagine that being quite useful, particularly on the earlier. You uh, can
1: imagine someone going to a job interview and they're like, I am the healthy adult. I- <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But you know what I mean? You know? Like, you know, we kind of use all the jargon and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's kind of helping, you know, it's sort of being, it's kind of giving them the archetypal version of what that mode is and being able to say, that, to, to mode it out rather than them mm. being, you know, the client leading the discussion and and this sort of mm. stuff. Does that make sense? Does that mm-hmm. feel right? Yeah, no, so it's very creative, isn't it? Very yeah.
1: creative with, with the chairs. Mm. The other thing he said about this is that this style of directiveness and repeat after me, like in this mm. kind of thing, he, he said this is very Fritz Perls. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. No. he said that that's that's where he got it from, like yeah, um, yeah. from some work in um, Gestalt that he'd been doing. Mm. Mm.
0: So I guess yeah. it's the thing you pick up little nuances and things that you might kind of adapt. So that's, I mean, that was number one for me. What about you? Yeah. You got another yeah, one for yeah,
1: me? Yeah. Yeah. What other yeah so so actually, you and I both went to the OCD workshop <clears throat> um, with Ka- Katia, was um, from Italy, and uh, Katia and her colleague. I think it's Olga. Uh, over there, doing a lot of work uh, with OCD, so that was really cool. It was a whole day. Um, I took a lot out of it. the The first thing I thought it was just really solid. It was just really solid, solidly researched, mm, solid, yeah. solid, solidly conceptualized. Yeah. It was clearly schema therapy um, applied to OCD and mm-hmm. some things I hadn't thought of mm-hmm. that they but they have thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, so what so, are you thinking about? Talk to me. Well, What's the things the- that stuck out for me is now we know we all probably know that um, guilt and responsibility appraisals are a big deal in in OCD. To and be, to be honest with you,
0: I I I didn't think of it to that level. I was like listening right. to it going, yeah, absolutely, you're right. I mean, I, I get the idea of responsibility, but to the level. So I guess if for the listener, like say if you've got you know, I feel like I'm gonna, you know, I can't pick up a knife because I feel like I'm gonna stab you with it okay there's a Mm. sense of responsibility that of your safety Mm. and me stabbing you that's an intrusive thought so that's the kind of context we're talking about in terms of responsibility
1: yeah Um, yeah. but so what's what i got out of it though is that Mm. there's well this is some sort of punitive guilt-inducing critic so Mm. this you know this came across in in their teachings that um Mm really intense critic is a big part of OCD. Yeah. Right. right. And with that, with that punitive but also uh guilt inducing flavor. How could you
0: think about stabbing Rob? How could you do that? What's wrong with you? That kind <laughs> of stuff. What's wrong
1: with you? <laughs> and um so but then okay, what's behind that? What what was clear is it seemed to be a sort of hmm, a, a mix of um you know, it's 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 a mix of vulnerability to harm, mm-hmm. like like I'm afraid bad things are going to happen. Yep. But then it's times and I'll be res- like I'm bad, like I'll be responsible and I'm I'm bad, mm-hmm. like I'll be I'll be defective, I'll be bad, I'll be to blame. Yeah. And this is guilt. So then, the, so then those it's those two things together. You know, it's yep. it's vulnerability to harm plus this sort of guilt appraisal. I'm bad. I'm I'm to blame. <clears throat> so the the critic side of that. Um, which, of course, le- lends itself really well to chair work and and dialogues mm. with the Guild-inducing critic mm. and floatbacks from any sort of, ooh, I'm, I'll be bad, you know, I'm responsible, doing floatbacks from there and doing maybe imagery work. <clears throat> and the other thing that that was made complete sense, and I couldn't realise why I'd never tried it before, they do this thing in the protocol, which is they call it ERP, so exposure and ritual prevention or exposure and response prevention plus imagery rescripting. okay so they'll they'll for example they'll get the stimulus the you know i think she made the example of a bible or something and she said right so the client holds this you know the the, uh, the stimulus that's going to evoke um uh, the anxiety the distress and they're holding it in their hands whatever it is right and they're tuning in and saying, like so how does that feel for you? You're sort of holding the object and you know, these thoughts and feelings like you know, um, someone's gonna die and it's you, your you know something bad's gonna happen and all this kind of stuff, right? And the, with the knife,
0: I'm about to stab you. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: you're right, holding the knife, yeah. you know, and something bad's gonna happen. it'll be my fault, you know something bad's gonna happen. And the distress around that. And then they, and then of course, they add a float back. Yeah, so nice they go, all right, and just stay with that feeling. You know that feeling like something bad is going to happen, mm. and let's take that as far as you can go, mm. even as far back as being a little girl. Yep. You know what's the first image that shows up for you, and of course, even they had all these um, examples with you know which were kind of it seemed to work fine. Mm. So that that was pretty cool. I hadn't I've, I hadn't thought about that use of a float back. And, and and you know what I found as well with that is that. Um, you know when
0: you look at OCD it's usually defined as like an anxiety disorder and you think it's more anxiety driven but it the other thing it was this kind of like the anxiety of feeling guilt so that was a yeah, as yeah, well yeah yeah so but, this is you know, so there's this kind of I'm anxious of the critic make, yeah, the, the sort of the guilt-inducing critic mode. Yeah, they all. Feeling guilty about and responsible. So it was kind of a uh, interesting overlay.
1: For sure. They sort of couched it that this is the core problem in OCD. It's not so much that something bad would happen. I mean, this would be bad enough, but it would be and it'd be your fault. So it would be like they're afraid that something bad will happen and they'll be stuck with this critic mode, mm. just feeling bad and guilty and, and responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Um sweet. Okay, so that was that was pretty illuminating. Mm. Over to you. Over okay, to you, mate. Okay. What, what else
0: did you so another thing that I thought was interesting was a presentation with Susan Simpson and Lamour Navot. Um mm. and this was all around the helpless surrenderer mode. And it but I, I guess when I went along to it, I hadn't really heard of this term before, and I thought it was kind of neat is this idea of kind of um, pseudo vulnerability mm. okay so uh so you yeah, know susan was um speaking you know um around her you know definition of like a hopeless surrenderer mode okay so this idea mm. of kind of it being a coping style mm. of you know being helpless and you know I need you to fix me help me you know this sort of stuff mm. but lamore brought this out to you know other kind of pri- primarily coping modes that can look kind of vulnerable, but they're not vulnerable. <laughs> do you, mm. do you, mm. Have you seen this yourself? Have you this kind of pseudo vulnerability?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, what are the signs for me? It, it's probably two signs. One is it just feels a bit off; like it doesn't quite feel like you've made contact with the child. Yeah, yeah. like there's a lot of. Maybe distress and 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 you know Mm. outward signs of vulnerability, but it feels a bit off in the sort of um, Mm. in your transference. The other the other one is that it doesn't sort of respond to efforts to repair it. So you'd be doing the normal like trying to land your repairing, and be like, no, no, like um, you don't understand, or and it it does doesn't work the way it usually does. So. Yeah, these are probably a couple of the times that I start to think about pseudo vulnerability.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I I thought it was kind of interesting. That they talked about different ways to approach it, and obviously a lot of empathic confrontation um, around mm. that. But I guess it's um, I you know normally I would have picked that up as being you know like a, a surrendery victim, helpless kind of coping mode, and I understand that. But I thought it was quite interesting as well. You know, so broadening it out to Maybe you know with some presentations there might be some sort of you know conning, manipulating, with there's sort of sort of hidden agenda possibly mm. going on, or
1: like secondary gain type mode. Yeah,
0: secondary gains that, that are you know being in the victim kind of presentation, you know, um, mm. and just yeah, A complaining
1: protector, complaining protector.
0: Yeah, yeah, same sort of thing. Sort of being able to elicit nurturance from you, but um, at the mm. same time not having the you know
1: um,
0: an impetus for, for change change yeah exactly mm. right. your your agendas are different if you've got someone who's you're wanting you know hopefully we all mm. turn up and want to help people change that's least what i'm thinking um mm. but if someone doesn't necessarily want to change then that's you know
1: and it kind of brings up a thing though that's maybe broader in schema therapy and it came up in the book that when we this book we wrote and um the mm. cambridge guide so there's a bit of peace in there too, but, uh, and that is, th- th- there are a chunk of clients who either because they've been socialized into what they think therapy would be, like a, like a support or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and the agenda would be, I mean, this is a, a, a segment of, you know, clients, mm. but th- their agenda would be, wow, this feels good. Like this limited repairing is really nice. Mm. Let's, just do this. Just do this. Yeah. Like, let's. This is that. If, if only I could keep going with this. Yeah. Rather and then. You, it can, you.
0: I don't want to have. Right. You. I don't want to strengthen my healthy adult. I don't know no, no, no. Because
1: why would I do that? Because I'm actually getting something nice here, which I've mm. missed out on actually growing up. So. Yeah. Um, it, it can be a sort of subtle thing in the beginning, and and you you think you, you're building rapport and all these things, and then you realize over time that hey. Other things aren't happening, like they're not sort of integrating stuff outside a session or maybe they're not even doing any homework. Um, so that's a part of this issue sometimes that mm. the, these kind of pseudo vulnerable modes would come and just want to take that support, but not really engage with the whole model. It's, it's something that Susan mentioned as well. She's talking about
0: the idea of um, some of these clients have kind of missed the template, like the template for the authentic connection with other people you know so um and when you have that kind of that template that you know sort of normal kind of attachment template um you know and and, and having a, an authentic connection with someone it's this is their you know often a way to cope with that you know sort of you know and this becomes a template of like being the victim and mm. you dancing around trying to cajole me to change and and that's that, and trying to help the client understand that, that this is an authentic connection
1: with, with your therapist or others, it's it's just you know maybe it. You know. And it's tough, of course, for the for the client because they don't often those folks are not coming into it with like feeling great about things. Like they have mm. this vulnerability which is really intense underneath. Mm. Mm. And then of course they want to feel soothed, you know, or to get some respite. And then they start sort of bringing these kind of modes into the therapy space. That, And it and it's soothing, and then you get to the end of the the, the, you know week of therapy or the day you know the therapy hour, and they feel a bit better and a bit relieved. But but this is not therapeutic in the long run. So I guess that's a conundrum for us. No, I wonder, like the people that are listening in, if this sort of hits any notes with like some clients that feel like like we're really hard to discharge, for example.
0: Yeah. And often, yeah, I think these are the sorts of clients that, you know, don't want to leave and they don't want to, you, you've done a lot of therapy and the therapy change is very slow.
1: Therapists are clever, man. They know, this, one of the things you'll know is when, if you mention this to a the therapist, maybe you're doing supervision, and they say, oh, like, like you know, discharge conversations and termination, mm-hmm. and, and they already know, oh, this is, you know, this you're is going with- to be a hard one. So... Th- <laughs> They already kind of know the ones that have gotten a little bit maybe too dependent on the therapy. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: over hmm. time, I reckon I've made a much more stronger emphasis about what what the modus operandi is of the therapy. So. Yeah, you know, I think I said to you before when I do imagery or chair work, I'm I'm saying I'm doing the imagery now, but I want you to do it at one point. So there's a kind uh, of
1: so you're slipping it in, you're socializing in. all the yeah. time. Rather like, than you know. me
0: just doing it, doing it, doing it, and suddenly the healthy adult, you know, the client is operating. And I think that strucks a chord with what I said before about with Scott, you know, sort of I am the healthy adult. Oh yeah, what else have you got? What other lovely little cherry? Well, this
1: been? is a bit self-indulgent, but um Big highlight for me was the workshop with Wendy Bahari, and it's been it's Wendy. been a little axe to grind <laughs> exactly. of mine for ages. Well, it's just this thing about how do we approach the critic? And like, look, you were there. Can you? What do you say? If you think, what did you take from it?
0: Oh uh, well, I, yeah. So, so um, Rob's Rob and Wendy's uh, presentation was really about looking at new ways of approaching, mainly the punitive critic. So, and and you know, I think we've all had problems where. You know, we you know historically it's always been send away the critic and banish the critic and the, the punitive critic, you know, and and looking at new ways to do that because it, yeah I I found it yeah really really useful um in terms of um, structuring things and to be able to kind of go hold on is this does this, this 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 critic mode which I normally would say is a punitive critic this one does kind of have a function here and being able to empathise with that and maybe. Maybe use empathic confrontation, but what about you? How did you?
1: Yeah, so this is the thing. Um, and just I have to assume not everyone's been to the presentation, but the the, the core of this model like, that we put put forward is to conceptualise punitive critics on a case by case, and and not maybe to assume that every punitive critic would would respond well to a very limit setting banishing mm-hmm. type of uh, rebuke, and and. Part of that is based on the idea that a large chunk of punitive critics would have some kind of uh, primitive function for the person, some kind of survival function. Mm-hmm. Um, often things like maintaining attachment to caregivers, um, keeping them safe, you know, um, keeping them functional, make, helping them achieve things, stopping them being lazy, all these kind of things.
0: And this sort of stuff's always been brought up in training. For I mean, I'm sure it's the same with you, that this is the crosshairs of where, you know, where schema therapy might not line up with some other approaches like internal family systems or a lot of the trauma approaches where it's like, mm. you know, you don't want to banish any part of the self
1: and things like that. Yeah. So we, I mean, we presented some stuff around like our experience that, you know, that, that, that there's two maybe subtypes of punitive critic and what um uh what does Wendy call it um she calls it a, a menacing critic. So there's a pure menacing critics, which which are a sort of abusive echo of the past, and and basically just want to destroy the person. And and depending on your data and you know maybe your population, we think roughly around twenty percent. That's been my experience of punitive critics would fall in that category, and then the other eighty percent. Uh, of the time, you're able to find some kind of a, a, a primitive function for the for the client, something that goes back to survival. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you can find that, then it it all all of a sudden doesn't make a lot of sense just to kick it out. Mm-hmm. You know, in those cases where the client, you know, says, "Wow," and look, one of the signs, for example, is 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 when you kick it out, and then the client has a has a reaction, right? So they either feel worse. Maybe they feel maybe they feel anxious now because they don't know what to do or they, or they don't feel safe or you know so we all, we've all had that experience but um, we think this might explain some of that when when clients don't like the critic being kicked out and it could be that that the critic is serving some kind of function so we put forward a, a sort of model of how to assess this um mainly using like interviewing uh, not of a coping mode in this case but interviewing of a critic you know for role and function. And the other thing Wendy came up with in terms of intervention, which was really cool, she has this thing she calls converting the critic message. So she says things to the critic like, right, so, you know, you're beating up on Jenny because, you know, uh, you think that you're going to keep her safe. If you keep her down and she's not like a tall poppy, then she's less of a target, you know. So, um, you know, there'll be this kind of function. And then she'd convert that critic message to say, so she'll, she'll step in and make the healthy adult chair and say, you know, I'm really concerned that if you put yourself out there too much, you might be hurt, get hurt, and I need you to stay safe. You know, so, you know, by all means, get out there and try things out, but but do it in a way that's safe and those kind of things. So she kind of convert the critic message and sort of say it in another way that still pays attention to the need. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, fully. Yeah, yeah. And Yeah. So that's the other thing that came up in that is that these critics are are also representing a need. Mm. Like if you look, if you look at it functionally, like mm. the need for safety or the need for, for validation, that kind of thing.
0: One one thing that came off the back of that presentation, and it's one of those things that you kind of um, you see a couple of little things and go, oh, "I like that." Was uh, you know uh, Scott was uh, doing role play with your good self, and um, I thought it was really interesting how he. Um, he was doing the interview and he was sort of talking about his style and what he i think he picked this up from les grimberg um about when you you know instead of yeah you, know, you have the, the critic in the seat and he would say things like you know so so why does that matter Why does that matter that rob has to do get things right all the time why does that matter what, what you know yeah. why why do you take so
1: you know why are you personally why does it matter to you why why are you so like why does it matter why is it yeah totally yeah, yeah.
0: That was- and being able to kind of okay, so you want him to 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 do well, so other people don't laugh at him. Okay, well, you yeah, know, yeah. why, why does that? Why are you so personally invested in yeah. Rob? Rob just wants to do the presentation, you know, that kind of
1: stuff. Yeah. So being able to this add- gets at the function, right? Mm, this is function. this is what yeah. he was saying. Nice, yeah. So so this segues us into like one liners. So mm. we can just hold that there for a sec because I think mm. we wanted to talk about there's a few more one liners mm. um, that we picked up. Um, but just to tie that off, like to me, especially you know getting this out to the community with Wendy and and presenting it to our colleagues and hearing from people like um, you know uh, Scott Kellogg and Eckhart Rowe together in the workshop and they really they really love the conceptualization. It does feel a bit to me like there's some general acceptance of that we can do this in different ways. Mm. You know that we can approach the critic in in sort of in a range of ways, including more, mm. maybe more uh, empathic confrontation, more you know even more compassionate approaches. Mm. Um, we presented that in the workshop, so if you get a chance to to get to that workshop, um, back to that workshop now or next time, that would that would be really cool. But that was a big highlight for me. Now, if we go back to the one liners, so that you, that was one from Scott that you liked. Um, there's one I picked up off Paul Peris. That he was doing the healthy adult workshop. Um, oh. Did you go that one? Yep. So, Some well, of the healthy I'll, adult stuff. Okay. And his thing, and he, he sort of said it jokingly a few times, but but actually it worked really well. You know, the client's reluctant to do anything in the therapy or whatever it is, and he just lean in and go, you know, what 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 would what would you need to feel, you know to feel safe enough to do X? You know, what would you need to be able to do X? What would little Jenny need to be able to do X? is there anything I can do to help? Just you know, what would you need to be able to do that? Because actually, you'd love to be able to do that. You'd love to be able to connect. You'd love to be able to you know do these other things. That's... What would you, what would you need to be able to do that? So I just thought that was kind of a cool, a sort of needs based, attachment based way of getting at the block. Mm, mm, mm. Mm
0: one thing that i picked up from his presentation as well was and it, i guess it did a theme of the things that i'm picking up on but um so his presentation was looking at key constructs of the healthy adult um and looking at these kind of core elements of the healthy adult mode which you know range from kind of meta you know, sort of awareness, sort of mindful awareness, mm-hmm. and compassion and coherence and being assertive. And yeah, there's a number of other things. But one thing I thought was kind of good was like, you know, talking about sort of um, healthy adult being like an authority.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, like an authority, not authoritative, authoritative figure, but an authority mm. figure. Like and that relates back to maybe that's what I picked up with the Scott stuff as well, where it's mm. just like I am the healthy adult, I am the authority. There's a bit of a <laughs> theme going on with that, which I, I kinda liked. And I thought, yeah, it's very true. Like I'm the leader, I'm the inner leader, sort of stuff. So and 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 that is yeah, kind of a almost like a need in itself. You know? yeah, so,
1: yeah. Yeah. And that's where the t- like if you're if you're authoritative or, or you have authority, um, things like tone matter. Mm. Tone, your your posture. Mm. You know, so often you tell the client, or ask the client, say, well, when you say this, maybe you can sit up a bit stronger, like that healthy side mm. and like the strong Jenny, and mm. um, you know, and it's say now a little bit stronger, like, you know, um, mm. it's okay to do this, or it's okay to have a break, or you know, those kind of things. So that all those things kind of matter. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And you get anything else out of that, like the healthy. The healthy yeah, stuff like, I mean, you know, that's sort of really
0: you know it's good to sort of have the core you know, eight different kind of constructs okay you know i can't list them off the top of my head right now but it was just nice to have there. we covered like, that everything. like as well yeah.
1: it was a bit validating we have a course um contextual schema therapy and and eckhart's book um mm. on contextual stuff would cover really most of that so that was very validating i thought um that they're really taking that seriously now you know conceptualizing the healthy adult oh and you mentioned too that the icst is coming out with a new conceptualization tool with like the healthy adult stuff in there just uh, so we needed that so it's another page uh, of i'm glad someone else is and- working on that stuff you know paul and others and
0: so is there any other like you know obviously this is we're talking about some of the presentations but you know any other little things that you noticed just in your chats in the breaks? yeah
1: and, there know? was one more thing that came up for me and it's something i've been noticing for a little while now and and that is that there's heaps of energy and interest um, in the schema therapy world for um, working in a neurodiverse contexts. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you did you get that? It's certainly I mean, something that's coming
0: up a lot with my supervisees. Definitely. So sort of like, what do I do when someone who's you know, on the autistic spectrum? And you know, is yeah. this a person detached or are they on spectrum? All this sort of stuff. Or you know yeah absolutely
1: so sort of bumping into people you know who you are there's one from perth there's a couple from brisbane um who are really in this space and Mm. um i I think this is going to be massive going forward and i know we're organizing actually another podcast right with um it's a gentleman from the netherlands who's been running the trials um over there for schema therapy for asd and Mm. um high functioning asd so that that's been really big and um what, well, one of the chats I had was uh one of my colleagues uh, from Wollongong Nick Marsden and just chatting to him he he does a lot of um report writing and does the assessments and that kind of thing and we we work with sometimes I send my clients to him and those kind of things and but he you know the way he writes his reports are just so cool and it's this idea of a neuroaffirming report writing yeah. like so when you're writing the assessment up and um but I've I've had experiences with clients that um You know over the last year or so in in um when they've got adults that get assessed Mm. you know and and then thinking about the schema therapy angle so i'll give you an example so you get you get kind of people that they might have had some severe critic their whole life just beating them up what's wrong with you what's wrong look why can't what's wrong with you right and all that and then they get like actually properly assessed and they realize oh you know i have asd or I've had, I mean, there's an actual reason why there's an actual bona fide, like, I'm not just lazy, I'm not this stupid, I'm not sure. all of those things. My brain's, you know, wired differently to other people. And and honestly, I've seen, I've had a few cases where the critic almost dissipates. Yeah. yeah. Like, with with this, going through this process of being assessed and, and having this education about this neuro, sort of, um, you know, diverse, uh, affirming education mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, it's been really cool. So it's piqued my interest, and um, I really can't wait to to hear from our sort of colleagues that have been doing the research. Yeah. And yeah, big shout out to everyone we've been talking about with this. Um, so I think it's a it's it's a it's a big area for growth in the next yeah. That's one prediction. I think you'll see heaps of research and practice in this area in the next five or ten years. Yeah.
0: So well, you know, I guess the other thing is is that um, from going to this um, the the conference that we actually, you realise there's a lot of people that are listening in and listening to this podcast and people from diverse places. And yeah, I guess for me, it was it was quite, um, oh, very grateful. You know, I thought, wow, this, I'm, I'm grateful that people listen to us and, you know, and and um, it, yeah, it's quite- um, It's slightly
1: surprising that, surprising that people actually listen. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So well, we, it's a sort of um, a skewed sample of schema therapists, but I totally yeah. like- yeah it's good good to to see that and hear that other folks in you know in general enjoy the pod and mm. um well we thank everyone for listening in it's awesome we get a thrill out of it yeah so it we're going to keep doing it as long as if mm. folks like hearing from us and talking about these things and if you no. do
0: have any, you know, suggestions for future podcasts, you know, email us. We, you know, so the email address is info at And look, we're really, we'd like to have feedback, you know, but it was just nice to, to meet some people and, <laughs> and to, you know, kind of hear that, you know, they've enjoyed the podcast. And we were very thankful for your, you know, your listenership, I guess. That's yeah. A,
1: a, By far, the biggest feedback I had was that uh, folks couldn't believe how tall I was. <laughs> this, was, this was the first thing pretty much everyone said. So Robbie is, what, uh, six foot seven or six foot six? No, yeah. no, six uh, five, six, six five. five. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So and I just, still might be i might be the tallest chemotherapist. Uh, I, I don't say. know. Maybe Eckhart's pretty tall, but uh no, yeah.
0: And just, um, I guess, for a plug for the ISST, which is the International Society of Schema Therapy, they did a fantastic job in organising it. The next um summer school... Or uh, the in light conferences, um, I haven't worked that out. But the next conference um, will be in Washington DC next year, and I think it's in May. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. you're interested, look at the International Society of website, and you can get a bit of details about that. But May, uh, Washington
1: DC. If you want I a trip to in- DC? D.C. Yeah, go check out the museums and all that stuff. And it's summer uh, in it's summer in the US, so it's nice weather. Thanks everyone for listening. Absolutely enjoyed it. Um, We'll see you around the traps. Of course, you you know we have a a suite of uh, online schema therapy training courses. Um, uh, You can check them out at Schema Therapy Training Online uh, to to go into an even deeper dive into schema therapy. We'll see all you guys next time. Take care, guys.